Hey guys, and welcome back to a solo podcast today. So just me today. I did try to hook up with George, but you're going to be getting plenty of content with me and George over the the coming days as George is coming up to Birmingham on Saturday. We're going to get a training session in on Saturday. We're going to get a push session in and then legs on Sunday. So you can look forward to plenty of me and George spamming your your social media over the coming days. So I thought that I'd get a solo one out today. Um, Unfortunately, I was meant to hook up with Joe Jeffrey. Um, That was meant to be on Tuesday night, I believe. Yeah, Tuesday night. Um, but unfortunately, Joe was sick, uh, so we didn't manage to get up that on Tuesday. So Joe will come back on next week, same time, same place. And we will actually discuss what we were going to discuss, which was basically just we've we've shared a lot of opinions and thoughts on off-season and pushing up body weight and what our opinions are in terms of how far we should push up body weight and what, what we should do differently in terms of whether we should push natural competitors higher, uh, what we should be thinking about in terms of off-season body fat set points, etc. So you, you can really look forward to that episode. It's going to be fantastic. Um, Joe's a very, very clued up guy and a fantastic coach. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to getting him on the podcast. I've been on his podcast before, the Optimal Physique Development Podcast uh, with him and Austin Stout. Um, it's a great podcast as well, which I highly recommend if you haven't already listened to it. So that'll be, that'll be next week. But for now, we're going to do a solo podcast and I'm basically going to take the questions that I had for me and Joe. But the thing is, I want the podcast with me and Joe to mainly be a discussion. Don't really want it to be Q&A based. And some of these questions here, I've got about 20 questions. Yeah, about 20 questions, which not all of them I really wanted to include in the podcast. So I thought, right, why not piece them together, put them in a solo episode, which I haven't done for a while. um, So you guys can enjoy this. Bit of an update on myself. So I'm at very close to... My peak off-season body weight, which I am planning to surpass. So before my last sort of mini cut, which I did in August, I reached about 180, 283 pounds. Very close to that right now. Uh, I took some update shots this morning, uh, which uh, my my couple of eyes, who, <laughs> who know who they are, um, gave me some comments on. Obviously, one of my main eyes at the moment is Danny, and she gives her, her, her opinion on what she thinks in terms of body composition and things like that, obviously. Myself being a coach, she understands as to where people can push to and where sort of optimal ranges are in terms of body fat. But personally with myself, I've set some arbitrary body weight goals that I'm going to try and tick off throughout the majority of 2019. I think what I've only realized now, and this is something that I think is very important and prudent to the questions I'm going to answer today, is that you only really recover from a prep a long time after the prep's finished. I only really feel like I'm very much getting to my stride now. I feel like my body weight and my body my body fat and where everything's partitioned and how everything looks is only really looking good and looking how it should do right now, which is about, well, well a, a year and three months since my last competition. That is a long time. So if you want to compete, you better be aware that the recovery curve from a natural bodybuilding prep or even an assisted bodybuilding prep is extremely long. So you best be prepared for that. You best be prepared to spend a long time in a surplus. I only spent um, three months, well, two and a bit months of that year and three months in, in a remote deficit. The rest was, was surplus. Um, so it's been a long time, but I'm feeling really good. I think uh, as you'll have seen from the majority of my training clips recently, it's literally been like posting great session after great session after great session. And that's really down to 
one big factor. Uh, my consistency has been relentless over the last you know month or so in coming into January. Uh, since Christmas sort of threw things off a little bit, obviously the New York trip, uh, picked up a little bit of an injury, just consistency was off with Christmas um, and just being at social events, being with family, uh, both Danny's and mine. And whilst that was extremely enjoyable, it wasn't essentially massively productive from a bodybuilding perspective in terms of the fact that I wasn't able to train super consistently. Uh, I was able to train, of course, but not super consistently and food was obviously uh, to a degree all over the place. Back to structure, back to routine, back to normal sleep habits, normal stress levels. Um, stress levels are very, very low at the moment. Everything's going very well from a business perspective. Um, obviously, very well from a relationship perspective. Everything's really, really good. So I can't, I can't possibly be stressed. I have no reason to be stressed. So stress levels very low. Sleep very good. Um, every recovery modality in place for me to be very efficient in the gym. And I just now every day I am thinking about right, what is today's session? What do we have on the cards? How am I going to get in a position to be able to progress these lifts? Uh, one of the biggest turning points recently as well has been my steps. I am doing as little as possible. The main factor in my day that I care about is my training session. That is it, that is it. And it may seem like crazy or weird or whatever, but it's, but it's not really. Like ultimately as a, as a bodybuilder, what, what do we care about most? How we're progressing in the gym. Are we going to be able to force overload? If we can't, then what's gone wrong in our day to be able to prevent that? So that's what I'm always thinking about. I'm thinking about, I do not want to prevent a non, I don't want to prevent an overloading session. I want to have every single session as most as possible, as many times as possible to be overloading. So guys, think about that. How do you set up your day in terms of creating an overloading session? And that starts from the day beforehand. It starts from weeks beforehand in terms of creating an environment where stress is low, sleep is good. Going into the session, how many steps have you done? Have you been walking around all over the place? If you can't stop that with your work or your job or whatever, of course, you have to admit defeat to a degree with that. But people doing unnecessary steps, going out for walks after a meal in the morning to clear the heads, you know, like all of these things, like, yeah, they might make you feel a little percentage bit better, but guys, our goal as bodybuilders is to really progress that session and make that the most important part of your day. Outside of that session, then again, what, what does the next day become? What does the hours after that workout become? It becomes a, a sense of how can we recover maximally for that next session? I'm on a three-on, one-off rotation, and I know that when I'm like two days in, that third day, which is normally legs, that is that is the one that I have to be so prepared for, everything has to count because that's the point at which my recovery curve is, or my, basically my recovery curve from the initial training sessions is starting to you know, build up fatigue, starting to build up. Um, and as we know, um, adaptive recovery curves across the board are gonna be influenced by every single workout. It's not just one workout that affects um, your adaptive recovery curve, it's everything, okay? Um, so we've really gotta think about that from step one. Make that a, a, a big factor in your training. Um, so I've kind of gone off on a tangent there, but it's something that I really wanted to put across. Something that I perhaps wasn't thinking enough about in previous off-season phases, like literally like last year. Was I thinking about that enough? Probably not. Um, it's probably to my, to my downfall to a degree. Right, so questions. I'm going to roll through these and give sort of a relatively swift response uh, to each question. So... Stephen Blackford asks, and these are all off-season relevant questions, by the way. So Stephen Blackford asks, too fat, too fast. 
that's a very, very broad question, Stephen. So, of course, you the, the whole aim of an off-season is to not get too fast, too fat, too fast. Uh, especially exiting a dieted state, we want to be very careful with the rate of gain that we're that we're having, on the, uh, and we want to basically be at a point where we're getting to a productive body fat level uh, with with a relatively swift rate. Uh, but then from there onwards, like from 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 an average male, like usually looking at something like zero point five pounds per week is a really nice place to get going. Um, and then you can just see how you respond to that and go from there. Um, uh, 0.5 pounds for, per week, you know, therefore two pounds per month. Should, you shouldn't get too fat too fast on that if you're training hard. Um, if you're training hard and you're training productively, there is no reason for you to get fat too fat too fast on that kind of approach. Uh, Charles, do I use digestive enzymes? If yes, which? Nope, I don't use digestive enzymes. Uh, I have not had any issues with digestion uh, really at all this off season, so um, I don't have used in the past uh, because again there is some some reason to suggest that the body could potentially do with a, a few more of the enzymes that we're going to get from a digestive enzyme uh, supplement, so therefore potentially improving digestion. Uh, but I think if your digestion is good, um, don't fix what's already broken. Um, don't sorry, don't fix what's not broken because it's not broken. Don't fix it. Um, Travis, leg day or deadlift day recovery techniques. Uh, get home, relax, get heart rate to baseline, um, eat post-workout food in a relaxed state, and then essentially just make sure the rest of that day is as stress-free as possible, getting to bed at a decent hour, at a regular hour with routine, and um, and then, yeah, just, just making sure that everything is, is maximized towards recovery. Um, besides that, keeping steps lower, on the day itself, um, maybe going for you know a brief walk at some point during the day just to get you know some active recovery in your legs after the session. But besides that, you know just try and keep steps to a to a bare minimum. Lodi, um, need to let go of the neat non-exercise activity thermogenesis and cardio, um, and I can't get out the habit of you know reducing your reducing steps as mentally it's very tough. Very difficult thing, um, you know. This is something that I was actually talking about with Jack Piad yesterday, um, because I, you know, I just seen him go out for his walks quite frequently. I'm like, Jack, like, how many steps are you doing? Like, why, why are you doing like a bunch of steps? And to be fair, he's not doing that many, um, but I still think he could do less. And I was very sort of upfront with telling him that I think you should do less, um, because a lot of people do struggle with this. You know, they they set their off season step targets far too high, um, and essentially what you're doing is. What you've got to remember is that this is something I talked about already, but your steps are something that's going to tax your recovery curve. So if you're out there doing a bunch of steps, you're taking away from your ability to potentially progress in the gym, especially from a leg training perspective. So I like to keep steps at, you know, ideally no more than 6,000 per day. And that seems to be what gets my legs the best recovery and what gets me back in the gym um, efficiently for the next session with uh, ample recovery. So just think, like, do I want to look the same on stage next time? Like, save your steps and your habits with regards to steps when you next diet. Use them as a tool. That's another issue with steps being high in the off-season is that you have no, no, no longer got that tool to use when you diet. That tool is now gone. You cannot use that tool when you enter a diet on 15,000, 20,000 steps a day, which is fair play if that's what your job entails. You have to move that much for your job. But if you don't have to move for that, that much for your job, but you're doing that amount of, of steps, you are shortchanging yourself 
a dietary tool. Uh, you are shortchanging yourself a deficit creator. Um, and that's very that's a very poor option in my opinion. So yeah, just like mentally try and switch on to muscle mass. Like switch on the muscle mass flip, uh, switch and think about that and that only. That needs to count. So muscle mass goal. Um, cool. I hope that answers your question, Lodi. Uh, progression schemes, reps, load and sets used for compound lifts. Um, so this is obviously again, you know, a question that actually does just apply to uh, whether you're in a dieted phase and you know you're obviously at the front end of a diet, you're still going to be making some progress. So my general thesis on this with regards to load and reps um i'll talk about sets in a bit but load and rep schemes is a simple double progression model so we have load going up um only when you hit the top end of the rep range and then once you hit the top end of the rep range you in yeah once you increase the load you only you hit the top of the rep range you increase the load go back down to the top of the rep range work all your way up again load up bottom of the rep range roughly all the way up to the top end, load up again. So like, you know, obviously exercises are different, you know, um, you're not gonna be able to add the same amount that you're gonna add on a leg press to an OHP, because the OHP is gonna have much smaller increments once you hit the top of the rep, top of the rep range. So to get to the bottom, you're gonna add a smaller increment. Leg press, gonna be larger increments. Um, so there's differences there, that's very, that, that's very easy to understand. Um, Isolations, just to cover isolations. Like I've taken a really different, well not really different, but a definite approach with letting clients know that, you know, isolations are there for a reason. They're there to achieve metabolic stress, which is, you know, the, the fancy way of saying get a pump. Um, to, to achieve that and that only, that means that that stimulus has to stay accurate. You know, when we're trying to achieve a blood volume goal or a cellular swelling goal, we have to keep it accurate. So trying to progress a cable bicep curl over the course of an eight-week meso is not really foreseeable. Like, we don't really need to see that happen. So keeping it on the muscle and making sure that every single rep is accurate that we perform on something like a cable bicep curl is of optimal importance. Um, losing track with that goal, very, like that becomes an issue. And that becomes where we start to disattach ourselves from the goal at hand. The goal with that exercise is to achieve blood volume and instead we're trying to progress it in a manner that is similar to our mechanical tension based moves. You know, we're not getting a bucket load of mechanical tension on a cable bicep curl. Um, ultimately, we will progress it at some point, but it's more of a steady process. Um, cool. So, and then sets. I only progress sets when someone is giving me the feedback that we can definitely handle more volume. Like... I don't progress sets over the course of a mesocycle. Um, meso to meso, yes, some sets will change, but over the course of the meso, the sets do not change. So I don't overload via sets. I'm very much a, a person that sets volume uh, for a mesocycle, uh, adjusts it if necessary, but then takes reactive deloads. That's my approach to sets. I do not add sets throughout a mesocycle. Um, my rationale behind that is, is purely out of the sense that I think that once you have a volume threshold that you can progress with in terms of adding load or adding reps, stick with that because you're going to force overload through those two modalities. So adding sets on top of that 
yes, I mean, it, it could be a viable way to increase volume in a very safe manner because ultimately we won't have to train to as higher intensities. We can add sets at a lower threshold to failure. And this can be very beneficial for some trainees that are trying to eke out progression maybe in, in the latter parts of their training career, maybe their older competitors, maybe they're people that have fully taxed out a method of higher intensity and lower, lower volumes. But for people that are slightly you know, newer to the gym or intermediate or even inter, intermediate to advanced lifters, um, that enjoy a lower lower volume lower volume um, approach, then adding sets is just not going to be for them. Or ultimately, that's not going to be a, an approach that they enjoy, um, and therefore, it's not going to be an approach that that gets the best results. Um, because ultimately, you you have to enjoy your approach, whatever way we're heading. Jamie, I expect two hundred pounds by April. That's um that's a lofty goal, and my goal at the moment is one hundred ninety by April. But we'll see. Maybe if two hundred's there, I'll. I'll take it. Joey, so what is what is my current macro setup and how far am I looking to push those? Numbers, numbers. Joey, the reason why I'm not really gonna answer this question is because it's absolutely pointless to answer this question because it doesn't matter what my macros are and it doesn't matter what numbers I'm looking to push them to. All that matters is that I push my body weight to new thresholds and that I continue doing that. That is ultimately what's gonna accrue me more muscle mass and Joey, for you to accrue more muscle mass, you've got to do the same. So you've got to keep pushing your food to the point where you're gaining that 0.5 pound per week consistently until body weight gets too sloppy or body composition gets too sloppy and we need to clean up. Um, but before that, you just need to focus on doing what you are doing, not focusing on what other people's macros are, uh, what other people's numbers are, where people are pushing. You do you and focus on doing you. Keep doing you. That's it. That's all you need to do, man. Um, tips for getting a lot of food down in a high calorie diet consistently structure is everything so have your structure for, for both on days so training days and off days and just make sure that you religiously stick to that structure um, don't avoid or cop out of your structure when you can um, obviously some social events will come up now and again which you'll have to sometimes be a part of but when you can stick to your structure stick to it That'll improve digestion because your body will uh, have, a, have a degree of consistency, you know? Like when you get into a consistent routine with your sleep, your sleep improves. When you get into a consistent routine with eating patterns, your generally your digestion improves. Um, so yeah, consistency with structure and routine and food options. Um, having rotations and food options as well. So making food exciting, making food tasty, very important. Um, and then calorically dense items of food. You know, like saurine loaf, cream of rice, um, bagels with jam, cereals, um, even, you know, it, bumping up your intra-workout shake. Things like this. Just make food very palatable and easy to eat. Don't try and, you know, gain all your, you know, if you're on like four and a half thousand calories, don't try and gain it all from the foods that you were using when you were dieting. You know, a lot of people have issues with oats in an off-season. Luckily, I don't because they're amazing. Um, but a lot of people do and some people have to remove them and that's fine. You know, just work with food options that sit well with you. Uh, Masonod, uh, you'll know your name, but I'm probably saying that wrong. That's just an Instagram username. Do you recommend a couple of weeks of maintenance at the end of a massing phase? Totally depends where you're heading next. So if you're heading into a mini cut, no, not really. It depends what you're trying to do with that body weight. Um, like if you've reached a point where you've definitely got too sloppy, then why the hell are you like 
I don't know. Maybe you'd want to harden up that body composition, to be fair. So maybe that's a viable reason. You'd want to harden up that body composition before you mini-cut, so fair play. Um, but usually you have... A, uh, usually you'll go from a massing phase, like usually directly into a hypochloric state. It just depends. It really depends what you're setting up. Like, I'll have some people that maybe will go into um, a deficit phase before they... Um, sorry, may go into a maintenance phase, my screen just froze, um, may go into a, a maintenance phase before they start their diet. Uh, but that's literally, like, there will have to be a real goal behind that. Like, there will have to be a goal behind why we're maintaining body weight and why we're not going straight into a diet. Um, it's all upon time scales as well. Um, but, so the reason why I'd recommend it is that you want to harden up this specific body weight before deciding on your next step. Make sense? Cool. Emma, rate of gain you'd expect for female clients and what point you'd dial back? Again, what point I'd dial back? Very specific, like very individual, sorry. So that would be all done via photos and obviously consideration of when their next stage outing is. So we have to be very much aware as to where their last stage weight was, being realistic with potential muscle gain opportunity. So we don't like we don't really want to like say oh my god you can only gain one pound of muscle a year and set ourselves to that stupid limitation but what we want to do is understand that you know we're not going to gain 10 pounds of tissue in one year so if you're 40 pounds above stage weight like your previous stage weight unless something went very fucking wrong in your last prep then you've probably not gained 30 pounds of muscle and you're probably not 30 pounds above your stage weight you're probably more like 38 um and that means you've got a long prep ahead of you so uh, making sure that we're having an awareness of when the next prep is or when the next diet phase is. We need to be very much aware of that. Um, in terms of rate of gain, I'd say that we're looking, so with with male clients, obviously we're looking towards maybe that two pound per month. With females, again, like you could look somewhere between that 0 0.75 and 1.5 pounds. Um, it totally depends where they're at though. Like if they're coming from a very lean body composition, it's going to be a lot faster than that. It's going to be closer to the two or three pounds per month mark to get them recovered in a in a place where they can progress. But later later stages of the off season, I think trickling up their body weight, being assertive to a degree, um, and I think you know that rate of gain is is still decent, um, provided they're in a healthy spot. So provided body fat body fat body fat levels are good, um, then they can start to gain at that slower rate. I think that's very productive because it allows them to stay in a longer surplus. Um, but for someone who's, who's lean, and I, I know you, Emma, I know I know your past to a degree. Obviously, I won't discuss it on here. Um, however, you do share a lot of your story on Instagram. Um, but I know where you're at and you're still pretty lean. So you'd definitely be on the upper end and you will feel like so much better when you do get to those higher thresholds of body fat and you'll feel the performance effects as well. And I know that you'll feel it because... I know what it what it what it made a difference to me. I know obviously Danny herself pushing up a body weight. The difference it's made in her training and strength is is very integral. That you do see your body weight rise and you get to that comfortable spot and you try and hang out there for a little bit. You know, um, I I hung out at you know the previous one eighty one one eighty two that I hit. I hang out there for a good two to three months um, before I well hung out. I did I was still in a surplus. Um, but it was much more gradual, okay? So get to your, your peak end of body weight um, and then just make it a more gradual process from there, okay? Um, 
uh, Oliver asks about social media, which isn't relevant to the podcast. Um, <laughs> Danny's actually asked a question, but I think it was definitely obviously towards me and Joe, but I'll answer it anyway. So it was uh, on what's your honest opinions of bikini competitors pushing up in their improvement season? So I think a lot of people actually, uh, the main people that you'll see on social media and the higher level competitors um, give out maybe the wrong message in the sense that they're not pushing up as much as amateur level competitors should. So my thoughts on this is that, so for example, I had a bikini client come to me and they were under muscled for their category then their push-up in their off-season has to be far more assertive than that of an IFBB pro who has already confirmed that they have enough muscularity for the stage. And whilst a lot of bikini competitors, sometimes when they diet down for the stage and you know they, they, they get a good placing or whatever, um, if they weren't fully where they needed to be, um, and even if they weren't fully where they needed to be from a conditioning standpoint, you've got to ask yourself, was it condition or was it the fact that there wasn't enough muscle there to see the relevant condition. So, for example, if you have a stubborn body part that wasn't lean enough on stage, it doesn't mean necessarily that you weren't conditioned enough overall. It might mean that that body part is simply not got enough muscle there for it to be as conditioned as it needs to be for, you know, the pro card, for example. You know, if you look at some of the people that are turning pro, every body part is very conditioned. And the answer to the question as to why that body part is conditioned is because they have got a lot of muscle in that area. Um, and this is something that I will discuss with Joe, but as sort of like a, a case study, if you look at some of the people that do carry the most muscle mass, unless they've been very genetically endowed, they do tend to see a phase at least once of getting pretty fluffy around the edges. Like there's at least one phase in their career as a bikini competitor, um, or even as a as, as a bodybuilder, that they have pushed up fairly significantly and gotten to points at which you'd might say, oh no, that's like not optimal for you know body fat partitioning or not optimal for insulin sensitivity. But they have done that. They've done that one push up or two push ups that granted them a lot of their tissue. So in my opinion, I think that amateur level bikini competitors or com bikini competitors that haven't yet got their pro card but have a reason to push a little bit higher and, and see if they can accrue that little bit more tissue. I think they should push the limits. And there's like, like this is one thing that actually, um, and Danny will know this, but some people won't, um, that, that Corin said at the seminar, if you know you can get into condition, you should have a little bit more confidence in pushing up. Because fat loss, at the end of the day, especially the front end of fat loss, like let's say you got like 25 pounds above, 30 pounds above as a bikini competitor. Like that's pretty much, like that's top end. Like that's, you know, that's 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 the top end of where you'd wanna be in an off season. Like the first 10 of that is gonna come off so easily. Like that to get you back to 20 above, that's gonna come pretty easy. So I wouldn't worry about adding that extra little bit, especially if it grants you some unforeseen performance in the gym that you've never done before like doing all these things that you've never done before in the gym it's probably going to grant you some more muscle mass um so so yeah um i feel funny answering that one because i know danny can hear me <laughs> uh, but yeah i answered it anyway uh right so and we've literally just had a topic of discussion on that <laughs> uh so uh right um connor one of my clients asked food rotation Nutrient timing as calories get high for next day's training. Um, 
So I'm not too sure about the second question. Nutrient timing is calories get high for next day's training. Um, so food rotation-wise, Connor, um, I'll ask Joe this one in, in, in the podcast that we do as well because I'm sure you'll want his opinion. But um, my opinion is that if your food if your food options at the moment are working for you, then just just you know keep them in. They're absolutely fine. There's no reason to sort of change or, or rotate. Um, but I do think that from a uh, from a digestive standpoint, rotating some foods would be good because ultimately at some point you're going to get bored of the meals that you're having. Boredom leads to less salivation before we eat. Um, salivating, getting excited for the meal that you're going to eat, releases amylase, which is going to help you break down the food you're eating. Okay, it's a basic level of digestive enzyme. Okay, so if we're if we're looking at that from the enjoyment perspective, rotating foods now and again would be a good thing. It's something that I do advise to all my clients, including you. Um, so it's why you know I'll I'll probably do the wraps for a little bit, the wrap attack, and then I'll switch it up for something else. Um, but usually it's like something, usually genuinely like it's something that I see on social media, and I'm like. That's a cool bodybuilding meal. I'll make that, you know. And Danny introduced me to the like the calorie rice cakes, which now other people have been messaging me and saying that they're great. And Danny will probably hate me for me taking some of the credit, but uh, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, things like that, rotating foods to so enjoy things. Absolutely, um, I do do definitely agree with that. In terms of like getting calories in for the next day of training, um, I, I I don't have like a huge opinion on this. Obviously, some people would say backload. But if we look at how we're going to absorb carbohydrates and get them into our system, like it's the same reason, like to a degree, why you're going to spend a few days carving up for a show is because carbohydrates will be absorbed and you know assimilated over a 72-hour period. So you're going to want to put some in on your rest day, regardless. Like you don't necessarily have to backload them. You know, unless you're doing loads, like let's say your rest day, you're doing loads of glycogen demanding tasks, you'll probably want carbohydrates throughout your entire day. But I know that for yourself, Connor, you know, your steps aren't ridiculous. So you're not doing a lot of glycogen demanding tasks on a rest day. So you don't need carbs throughout the entire day. So you, for you, backloading is fine. You know, you can stock up that glycogen for the next day of training. That's a fine approach. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts there. But I'll ask it to Joe as well, mate. Okay. Uh, ben, never competed, but looking to compete in the years to come. Tips to help stay into staying in a bulk until then. So, if you're a young guy, I imagine you are, then absolutely, like you just need to put your mindset in a place where you understand that these years of initial building is going to grant you your main amount of muscle tissue that you have. Um, nothing great was built on crappy foundations so build up your foundations so you have a fantastic physique to work on don't be afraid of getting a little bit fluffy around the edges um getting very strong in the gym and getting progressive you know don't get stupid fat of course but push up your body weight to new thresholds push up your lifts to new thresholds um one thing that i would say that helps me stay driven in a gaining phase is the excitement of progressing lifts remember that that excitement of progressing lifts does ultimately go to a degree when you diet you're not going to be progressing lifts throughout your entire diet. So the excitement of progressing training should be something that fuels you. Use that as, a, you use that as fuel for your fire um, and you'll stay definitely adherent to, to the goal of bulking, um, to the goal of gaining weight. And ju just be like steady in your approach. Don't gain too fast because you'll just end up spin, spinning your wheels. Let's say you gain like five pounds in one week. You'll be like, fuck, I need to mini cut. You'll diet for the next week 
and then you'll gain, you know, and then you'll be like, mm, cool, okay, got the five pounds off, let's bulk again. And then you'll add four pounds in that next week and you'll be like, fuck, like just spinning your wheels. Do not spin your wheels at all. You cannot afford to do that, especially if you're young, you cannot afford to spin your wheels, all right? Um, Tristan, how to know when to push up foods and by how much? So if you're like in the latter parts of a gaining phase, then like, so let's say you're out of the diet, you're out of the recovery phase from a diet. Like normally you don't really have to continue pushing up food too much. Um, once body weight starts to be trickling up, usually you you can pretty much hover at the same food for a while and that surplus will work for a while. Okay. So it should work for like a month at least. And then when that, when that body weight starts not going up by that 0.5 pounds per week or two pounds per month, then you know, you need to make a change. Um, that change is going to be indicated by your performance. So your feedback on performance is giving you the indication that you need to make an increase. Cool. You make an increase. Then that increase is obviously replicated in the scale. If the scale is doing what you want, the performance is going up adequately in the gym and your physique is representing what you want to see with regards to not too much body fat accumulation, um, staying tight in the midsection and the waist, etc. Um, your stubborn body fat sites not getting too fat. Um, if all of those things are, are, are moving forwards, then you're in a fantastic spot and you can continue to just rise food as and when you need it. So when you make, when you make those changes, be very cautious on all of those feedback tools. So your, your, first, your first feedback tool is always your photos. So your photos first, then your performance in the gym, and then your body weight finally. Um, and then obviously if you're taking caliper readings or you're just you know having a general awareness of your fatter areas, then just being very mindful of those. Because ultimately, as you diet down, those areas are going to be last to come in. And if you get them super duper fat, they're going to be really hard to get in. So, you know, like for me, if my ass starts like jiggling all over the place, I know that I've got issues and I probably need to pull back a little bit because I'm not going to get my glutes lean. Um, it's, you know, it's being honest with yourself on that front. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that. Uh Christian, no question, this will be sick. I'm sorry, Christian. Um, Joe will be alive and well next week. James, when to push and when to maintain. So I kind of covered this earlier in regards to maintenance. So I hope you answered your question earlier on, on that one. Um, Stefan, what's the difference between getting the calories from carbs versus fat? So uh, cal calories from carbs, like carbs are our most abundant tool in terms of creating an energy demand. So or an energy fuel source. So fats, fats above baseline. So fats above general recommended recommended amounts, which is um, about zero point eight grams um, per kilogram. Uh, if if you go above that, then you're you're going to get in a position where you're not really utilizing them to a huge degree. So I would say this is the thing, right? A lot of people and and actually Thorburn mentioned this very brightly in saying that people are having this thing of like low fat, high carb massing phases. And then you say this, you see the same people bloody complaining about being too full um, and like struggling to get the carbs in. Like carbs, yeah, they're a great tool to ramp up in a gaining phase, fantastic. But at a point at which appetite starts to diminish, we start to get like, you know, our return on investment in terms of appetite is, is low. Um, We've got to increase fats. We've got to, we've got to increase fats because they're very easy to eat. 
So once you've increased carbs to like a threshold where you're feeling very, very full, um, you can't really eat many more carbs, then take up your fats. Like it's just, it's just logical. I mean, yes, as a, as an energy source and like putting fat more, more and more fats in the diet, like a significantly high fat diet, it's probably not going to be optimal for bodybuilding in terms of, um, nutrient utilization. So how we're using our nutrients, but besides that, like, you know, Fats are very, 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 very easy to eat. You know, you don't, you, it doesn't take much effort to eat a couple of squares of dark chocolate for 10 grams of fat, you know. So, like, doing things like that is a very easy way to increase calories. So, as an appetite tool, it's a very, very good thing to do. Um, but I would say work up your carbs as high as you can possibly get them before you have to start uh, increasing fat. So, for example, my fats ideally are within that 60 to 70 range at my current body weight of 100 and, um, 180, 180, 182 pounds, um, which is adequate, it's fine. And then on my rest days, I have slightly more. And the reasons for that is because my carbs are so high on a training day that on, on a training day, I'm, I have no chance of getting in you know, f fattier fish or fattier cuts of beef. So I try to, as and when I can, when I'm actually able to go to the shops frequently, you know, have salmon and things like that on my rest days if, if possible. Um, to get in some more healthy fats, which ultimately I'm not, I'm not, it's not really feasible to get them in on my carbohydrate intake on a, on a training day. So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Um, wow, 40 minutes pretty much. So I'm going to leave this here, guys. Um, as usual, these ones are usually 30 to 40 minutes long because I haven't got George talking about farts and farting on the leg press. So we haven't got 20 minutes of garbage. No, I'm joking. Um, I miss George already. So uh, he'll be back probably. We'll maybe get one in next week. If not, then obviously you'll see plenty of content over the weekend with me and him. And uh, next week should definitely have Joe on to discuss sort of pushing up body weights and, and being um, ad adherent to that phase and, and, and seeing his views and opinions on things, which I'm sure are going to be pretty much in line with me. But it'll be interesting to hear some of his client state case studies. That's what I kind, kind of want to touch on mainly is case studies that we've seen with clients and just with people on social media um, that have either like pushed up and just reaped strength gains or or pushed up and come down with a lot you know so we want to talk about that all right guys so have a fantastic weekend thanks for listening as usual uh really really appreciate anyone that's tuned in for these solo ones and uh we will chat soon thank you bye